This is Gulf Coast Life. I'm Mike Canary. Thanks for joining us. The Harry Chapin Food Bank is the largest hunger relief network in southwest Florida, serving Charlotte, Collier, Glades, Hendry, and Lee counties. They collect donated food from a variety of sources and distribute it primarily through more than 150 partner agencies like churches, nonprofits, social service agencies, and other community organizations. Last year, the food bank distributed more than 47 million pounds of food. That's up from about 26 million pounds the year before. That's a 79% increase. And now with high fuel costs and spiking inflation, they're facing a new set of challenges in their mission to provide food for people in need. To get an update on the current state of things at the food bank, I'm joined in studio by Richard LeBur. He's president and CEO of the Harry Chapin Food Bank. Richard, welcome back to the show. It's nice to see you in person. Nice to see you in person too, Mike. We invite you to weigh in on today's show using WGCU social media. Find the post for this episode on Facebook. We're at WGCU Public Media. And then on Twitter, we're at WGCU using the hashtag GCL. How long have you been at the food bank now? Seven years Almost seven, six and a half. And how long have you been working in this field? Oh, I've been working in food banks for 20 years in one capacity or another. Over those years, you've seen waves come and go. Mm -hmm. Um, How are the times that we're in now, um, you know, compared to some of the other challenging times? You know, it's it's very challenging. It's uh, it really is kind of unprecedented and it's been uh, difficult to predict exactly, you know, what was going to happen. Um, I think we've gone. Uh, from a series of, of challenges, not long after I got here was when Irma hit, um, and that was coming, of course, on the tail of the uh, Great Recession, and then we had uh, the pandemic, and now we have a wave of inflation. So every time I feel like I've got my feet solidly planted and I have a good view on where how the world is going to evolve next, uh, events seem to cor- to uh, conspire to take us in unexpected directions. Um, so the uh, Harry Chapin Food Bank, it first opened uh, as the Lee County Food Cooperative in 1983. Can you just real quick explain the connection to the name Harry Chapin? Sure. Well, sorry, the re- uh, and listeners who may not know, Harry Chapin was a big singer-songwriter Thank you. back in the 70s and the 80s. Uh, the song Cats in the Cradle, which many people are familiar with, is probably his most famous song. And Harry, unfortunately, died young in a, in a traffic wreck. But during his lifetime, he was passionate about the cause of hunger, gave a lot of money personally, and was personally involved in starting a number of hunger charities, won the Congressional Medal of Honor for his work, in fact, in hunger. The Harry Chapin Food Bank here in southwest Florida was started by people who grew up in Long Island in the Northeast and knew Harry when they were young. And so they really credited Harry with inspiring them to feed the hungry and to start a food bank of their own. And uh, we asked the family if we could name the food bank in Harry's honor, and they were kind enough to say yes. Huh. Uh, Explain for our listeners exactly what you guys do, sort of the scope of your operations and the mechanics of it. So as as you said in the introduction, Mike, we, we are the largest hunger relief network in southwest Florida. We uh, and our 150 agencies that we work with um, get uh, and distribute food in five counties, Collier, Charlotte, Lee, Henry, and Glades counties. So Port Charlotte all the way down to Marco Island and half a great way across the Everglades. And our role in that is we really uh, find and rescue um, and redistribute food that much of it would otherwise go to waste and make it available to organizations in southwest Florida that feed people. So that might be Catholic Charities or your local church or uh, the Salvation Army uh, and many household names. 
pretty much anybody who is feeding the hungry directly in southwest Florida is getting the majority of their food from us. Um, uh, on your website, I read that um, 60 percent of the five-county footprint you consider, that you cover is considered a food desert. Can you explain what that means? Sure. Uh, the food desert is a, is a term that comes out of you know, hunger research. Uh, there is an official definition, but the gist of it is that you don't have a good quality grocery store nearby. Uh, the definition of nearby is different in urban areas than it is in rural areas, but 60% of the of the area that we cover uh, qualifies as a food desert. It's either out in the countryside and many miles from a grocery store, or it is, you know, in an urban area, but, you know, a good significant distance drive to the nearest grocery store. Explain the scope of the sources of the food that you are able to collect and then distribute. Yeah. So you mentioned at the beginning um, that it's millions of pounds of food that we distribute every year. Um, the largest single source of that comes from uh, grocery stores. Um, all of the major grocery store chains in southwest Florida provide us with food. Uh, we have trucks at every one of those stores at least once a week and in many cases several times a week. And they're picking up that last lonely can of green beans that's got an expiration date that's, you know, a week older than all the other cans. Everybody knows you can see it anytime you go to the store, people picking up the can and checking the date and, and putting it back and taking one that's newer. So the stores know that. They know they're not going to be able to sell that produce or that product um, and they donate it to us rather than you know throw it out. They'd rather it fed somebody. So that is our single largest source. Our second largest source would be farms. We, uh, again, get shipments by the truckload of fresh produce from farms all across southwest Florida. And indeed, sometimes we're bringing it in from all around the country, depending on the time of year. Um, so there's millions of pounds of fresh produce coming into us as well. Um, is this time of the year uh, the time that you're getting it from elsewhere? Because we're not really growing that much, comparatively speaking, this time of year, right? It is, absolutely. This is our most challenging time of year. It, it's challenging on the supply side because uh, not only do we not get much in the way of produce locally, they're not growing in Florida nearby right now, but we also generally get less from grocery stores because most grocery stores in southwest Florida know that their consumer audience is seasonal. And they cut back on the amount oh, of inventory see. that they have in the store. Uh, so consequently, the amount that they have available to donate to us goes down as well. At the same time, on the demand side, typically in the summer, we see an increase in demand because there's a lot of people that we serve who are really seasonally employed. And this is the time of hmm. year when their hours are cut to a minimum or maybe they've been told, you know, they don't need to work this week because uh, there's no one staying at the resort or there's no one eating in the restaurant. Huh. Um, so this is this is a tough time for us in terms of matching supply with demand. What about uh, food drives? You know, individuals giving food. You know, what percentage roughly does that fill out the pie of what you distribute? I mean, it's a relatively small percentage that's purely food drives, like ten percent or so. Okay. Uh, you know, of the of the food that we're distributing. Uh, how are you funded? Is it donations? Is it grants? Is it you know what what combination of things you know gives you the money to operate? Well, it's all of the above. We never say no to funding. <laughs> but uh, uh, certainly uh, donations is a very significant part of what we do. Um, grants are also um, a fair amount of money. Uh, we do get some federal and, and government funding. This past year with the pandemic, there were larger 
you know, government funding sources available than, than normally. But even so, this, the, the majority of our funding, 70 plus percent of our funding is private funding from, from either donors or grants of one kind or another. Hmm. Um, I looked at some graphs on your website and from 2016 through the beginning of 2020, there was a pretty relatively, you know, slow and steady increase. And then the graph for 2021, 2020, 2021 um, is like not double, but probably half again more, maybe, mm-hmm. I would guess. Um, before we talk about the spike that we're in now, can you talk about, let's go back, because we had you on the show back in April of 2020, uh, two and a half weeks after everything shut down, and you were talking about the challenges you were facing because of the pandemic. Can you just reflect on that time a little bit and you know let our listeners know how you guys got through that? Because those were particularly tough times for what you do. Yeah, you know, when the when the pandemic really started to break loose and, you know, we started hearing rumblings about it in January of 2020, but it, you know, it really became a major factor in March. And then you and I were talking in April. It was really hard to predict how this was going to play out. We there wasn't a playbook for what was going on. Um, We were really concerned that um, we were going to have difficulty uh, distributing as much food. We, we had a sense that we were probably going to be called upon to distribute a lot more food, um, but we really were concerned about the distribution end of it. Um, it was not clear to us at all that the 150 organizations we normally pass food off to to help get it out into the community were going to be able to continue to do that. Um, as you know, They're vol- mostly volunteer-dependent. We were really concerned that a lot of those pantries might close up shop. As it turned out, it, it worked out better than that, and you know the the significant majority of them stayed open one way or another. Um, but so one of the first things we did two things early on: we committed, even though we weren't sure how we were going to pay for it, we committed to start buying a large amount of food to have food available to get it out in the community. I remember we placed a million dollar order for um, for food just kind of on a wish and a prayer. And we did that based on our uh, experience with Irma, which was that, you know, we've discovered along the way that uh, we have a wonderful community. And when need presents itself, if we can convincingly tell the story of what's going on, that people step up and they help, and and as they did this time around too. So we placed a million-dollar order for food, purchased food, to make sure we would have enough. A lot of it was produce. We were really concerned about that. Um, and we made a decision to greatly increase the amount of direct distribution that we were doing uh, directly to people who needed versus food. the partner agencies versus the partner right. agencies. And so, a lot of that we do uh, via what we call mobile pantries. These are when you send a truck out into the community, they set up on a parking lot somewhere, and then they can feed several hundred families in a matter of a few hours directly. The number of mobile pantries that we did went from two or three a week pre-pandemic to 12 a week during the pandemic. And they were touchless too, I remember. Yeah. Yes, they, they were. were. Like drive through, set them in the trunk kind yep. of thing. Yep, because we didn't, you know, our, our model again pre- previous to the pandemic was very high touch. It was, you were trying to be nice and friendly and considerate of people's humanity. And so, you know, we, we, we merchandise them like a uh, like a farm stand. And you, you get out and you walk through and we talk to you and you pick what you want off the table. With a, with a pandemic and a virus running uh, rampant, we didn't think that was a prudent thing to do at all. We certainly didn't want to become, you know, a place where someone caught COVID. 
So we switched to a drive-through model where you don't get out of your car. That required a lot of operational changes. Um, you maybe don't think about this, but if you're going to distribute several hundred, you know, kits of food, packages of food, uh, bundles of food to people in their cars, you have to have that all pre-built. You have to have boxes with an assortment of things built ahead of time. And that doesn't magically happen. No. And that all gets put together by volunteers, That's presumably. exactly <laughs> right. So we went on a big volunteer recruitment uh, campaign, and we were very fortunate that our volunteers kept coming out, even though everybody was worried about, you know, catching COVID. Um, so big operational changes there. It also affected the mix of products that we had to have. Um, you know, again, when you're doing that kind of thing with a box in the back of someone's car, you, you want to have a consistent mix of, if I think I'm going to feed 600 families at this distribution, then I want to have 600 identical kits, which means I need to have, you know, 600 times two cans of green beans and 600 times, you know, one, uh, boxes of shelf stable milk and all of that stuff ahead of time. So, it really changed our sourcing. We, again, that was part of the reason for starting to buy more food was to be sure that we would have a consistent mix of the items that we needed to have to put in that kit that was going to go in someone's car. So big changes uh, and all, you know, very quickly. We, you know, it didn't happen instantaneously, but by about um, May or June, we were, you know, ramped up to, you know, six times the number of mobile pantries. And and mobile pantries that weren't just feeding, you know, 100 or 200 families, 200 would have, we would have considered a, a really big mobile pantry pre-pandemic. We were feeding six, seven, a hundred, a thousand people in some cases at every distribution. So the quantity that we were distributing at the mobile pantries just went through the roof. Hmm. I want to take a moment to reintroduce our guest. Richard LeBur is president and CEO of the Harry Chapin Food Bank in Fort Myers. It's the largest hunger relief network in southwest Florida. We're getting an update on how they're handling these current trying economic times, or we will be here just momentarily. If you'd like to engage with us about this conversation or any of our shows, we invite you to do so using WGCU social media. Find us on Facebook at WGCU Public Media or on Twitter. We're at WGCU using the hashtag GCL. So I mentioned the graph on your website. There isn't one yet for 21-2022. So where, where are we at? Where are you at now, comparatively speaking, versus last year? Sure. So we went from, I think you mentioned this earlier, distributing in total about a half a million pounds a week pre-pandemic. During the pandemic, we averaged a million pounds a week, and our peak week, I think, was 1.4 million pounds. So it doubled on a kind of on a week-to-week basis. Um, in some cases stronger than that. It's come down since then. Um, it is currently running 700,000 pounds or so, plus or minus. So that is down significantly from where we were in the peak of the pandemic. It is up a lot compared to where we were pre-pandemic, still up 40 50% versus where we were before all this started. And it took a dip along the way. I mean, it came down even further than it is now you know, if you look back kind of late last year, early part of this year, um, before the latest round of inflation. And what's happened is that the numbers have gone back up substantially um, as people have started to, you know, realize what the price of gas was going to be at the pump and what their rent was going to go to and food prices and everything else. So demand is currently running about 
uh, six, seven hundred thousand pounds a week. You face an interesting challenge because when the economy starts to falter, people need your services, and then you're trying to do your job in a faltering economy. Yeah. Um, you know, I know uh, fuel prices, transportation costs are a huge part of your budget pie. About how much is that, by the way, of, of your budget? Well, so uh, fuel costs, uh, we spent last month $21,000 in the month on fuel costs. So it's a very significant piece of our budget. So when it goes up from you know $2 a gallon to $5 a gallon, that's going to two yeah. and a half times your costs. Yep. Um, and then so how does inflation impact you? I guess the food that you buy will be more expensive. Does that's that right. impact the food that you're given? No, it doesn't impact the food that we're given, um, but in a lot of cases, there's transportation cost that goes along with that, and that has certainly gone up uh, significantly. Um, let's talk some about who you serve. Sure. Uh, I was looking at some, some statistics. It's mostly um, you know, families, children, seniors, um, 80% of the people that you serve have had to choose between food and utilities, you know, about 70 or 75% between food and transportation, food and health care, food and housing. Um, when I talked to your predecessor back in 2008, 2009, he spoke a lot about the people who were showing up were people who had never come to food banks before. Mm -hmm. And I'm assuming that's sort of the same thing that happened during the pandemic. Are you experiencing that kind of, uh, you know, clientele right now? Um, it certainly was the case during the pandemic that we were seeing a lot of first-timers. We've seen uh, a, a somewhat of an increase recently with the inflation, particularly in rents, um, in people who are, you know, that that's pushed over the edge. Uh, so we are seeing, you know, a lot of first-timers. Unfortunately, Mike, I think over the, you know, experience of multiple things with Irma and the pandemic and, and inflation, et cetera, uh, we're seeing more people who've been before. You know, this is people who had never gone before before are now going again. Right. And they've <laughs> and they've learned, you know, thankfully, they've learned that there is assistance available. Yeah. But it's unfortunate that it's become you know, a, a more common thing for people to have to rely on. Um, school's getting ready to start back up. So we're just coming out of summer. Can you talk some about what you guys do during the summer to try to alleviate the need for food for kids that aren't in school? Sure. We um, we have a number of uh, uh uh, school summer feeding programs that we that we participate in. There are a number of organizations that we work with that do that kind of work and get their food from us during the summer. We have an active schedule of mobile pantries, and, and many of those are at or near schools uh, that we rely on as well to help feed people during the summer because you're absolutely right. You know, a, a working family with children is probably relying on, in many cases, those children, you know, the statistics at Lee and Collier schools are that 80, 90 percent of, of the children in the schools are um, free, receiving free or reduced, um, you know, lunch. So they're, they're, they're using that during the school year and during the summer they don't have access to it. So. Um, I, I read that back during the early days of the pandemic, the U.S. Department of Agriculture, they issued a, a, a system where it was free meals for school kids, at least for a while. And I understand that's ending now. Do you have any information about that? Is that something you guys follow? Um, yeah, so that, that's absolutely correct. As we're going into the school year, you know, school pantries and pantries in schools or near schools are ramping back up. And we're 
um, more than doubling the number of school pantries that we have been doing. So we're expanding that program to help meet the need of uh, students in schools. You do then direct uh, food distribution in schools. This isn't through your partner agencies. It's in conjunction with the school, but no, it's not. I guess with in a that case, agency. the school is the partner agency. Effectively, yes. Um, you mentioned that you know before the pandemic, you were doing I think you said like three or four food pantries a week, and then it spiked. Where are you at with mobile food pantries today? Um, we're uh, around, I think, about eight or so a week. So it's come down again a little bit from the peak. But uh, and the numbers per distribution are not as high as they were, you know, during the during the pandemic. But it's still a, a substantially more than it was before the pandemic began. Are you back to doing things in a more friendly way during those mobile food pantries, or are you have you taken things that you implemented because of the pandemic and kept them? Well, you know, we learned some things during the pandemic that that were effective. We there's no way we could have fed 600 to 1000 families, you know, in the old model and we still can't. Um so it, it our mobile pantries are a mix. So some of them where the numbers are smaller, we have gone back to the uh, farm stand kind of distribution, the choice we call it uh, distribution. The uh, the ones that are larger are still five, six hundred families. Uh, we we are still staying with the drive through because it's more efficient. It may be less uh, high touch and friendly, but it's much more efficient. Um, uh, do you guys basically do people have to register for these mobile food pantries? Do people just show up? Do you just give out food until you're out, or kind of how does that work? People just show up. We give out food till we're out. We try to plan ahead and have enough food to meet everybody. We don't generally have to cut very many people off. Um, they do have to, you know, provide some qualifying information when they show up, um, but uh, but otherwise, there's no reservation required. What is what would be qualifying information, and how and uh, how can people find out about where to go too? Sure. So they can go to our website, HarryChapinFoodBank.org, and if you there's a prominent button at the top of the page that says Find Food, and that will direct you to a calendar of um, our mobile distributions and also a list of our 150 agencies that you can search, you know, by area so you can find who's near to you. Um, and there's plenty of information there on qualifying as well. Qualification is generally about income. You have to certify that, you know, you have a level of income that meets the requirements to participate in the program. Do you spend any time at yourself at those mobile food pantries, like being around the people who are there? I do. I do. What are the things you're hearing from them? Well, you know, you always hear gratitude, of course. Um, a lot of frustration lately with the, you know, the latest inflation. I think people just started feeling like they were getting their feet back under them and they'd gotten back to work and the pandemic was, you know, fading into the rear view. And, and then all of a sudden they got a letter from their landlord saying, hey, you're going to raise your rent $1,000. And they're right back, you know, struggling again. Um, so there, there's a lot of frustration with that, I think. Um, in about 15 or 20 seconds, because we're running out of time, uh, you don't have a crystal ball, but certainly you guys must look down the road economically. Do you feel like things are going to get better before they're worse or worse we're, before they're better? We're anticipating that we're going to have to continue to feed a lot of people for the foreseeable future. Understood. All right. Thanks to our guest, Richard LeBur, is president and CEO of the Harry Chapin Food Bank in Fort Myers. Richard, thank you for coming in and talking with us about what you're doing there. 
You're very welcome, Mike. If you'd like to learn more about the food bank and its operations or to become a volunteer or help in other ways, visit our website, wgcu.org slash gcl to find links. If you missed any of today's show, you can always hear episodes in their entirety on our website. Our show today was produced by Tara Calligan and myself. Our director today is Jared Gonzalez. For now, thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. This is NPR for Southwest Florida, 90.1 WGCU-FM, Fort Myers, Naples, and Punta Gorda, and 91.7 WMKO Marco Island, a member-supported service of Florida Gulf Coast University.